Welcome to the Urban Futures podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Urban Research and Austerity at De Montfort University. This podcast series is designed to promote cutting-edge research and action on the issue of the future of urban development in the UK and beyond. It is made up of interviews with leading critical academics and practitioners working to deliver an alternative, more progressive future for cities. In this edition of the Urban Futures podcast, we talk to Andy Pike, who is Professor of Local and Regional Development and Director of the Centre for Urban and Regional Development Studies at Newcastle University. We'll talk to Andy about recent work he and his colleagues have carried out into city decline in the UK. Sponsored by the Joseph Joseph Roundtree Foundation, the Declining Cities Report analyses city decline in the UK and reviews international experience for learning. The research seeks to address a gap in urban research agendas that have tended to focus on successful, thriving cities rather than the situation of and policies needed in cities coping with relative decline. The report develops an index of city decline and a typology of relatively declining cities, which is used to measure the scale and nature of city decline in the UK. It also includes a review of UK and international literature on policy responses to city decline, as well as an assessment of the implications of the evidence for declining UK cities. Okay, hello, Andy. Uh, uh, thanks very much for, for taking part in our podcast series. Could you just explain uh, the aims and results of your declining cities research? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, this was part of uh, the Joseph Roundtree Foundation's Cities Growth and Poverty Program. And fundamentally, what they wanted to understand was the predicament of cities that were struggling with growth and inclusion issues uh, to try and do two things. One, uh, to try and explain their situation, what was causing their relative underperformance, and also then to think creatively about some new potential policy ideas. Why did you uh, decide to focus the research on, on declining rather than thriving cities? I think a lot of the city's narrative in the UK have been focused on cities' growth, which is obviously a very important part of increasing output and productivity and jobs and employment prospects and training opportunities in cities. Uh, and the whole kind of argument around agglomeration economies, uh, trying to boost scale and critical mass within cities, I think had been well catered for in the debate. Rather less had been said and uh, scrutinised in terms of what happens to those kinds of cities that are struggling in those uh, regards in terms of output and employment and are kind of falling behind other cities within uh, within the UK context. So basically your definition of the declining city is one that is struggling struggling relative to, to others in terms of, of, of GVA. Um, are there any other characteristics that you might want to mention? Within the report, we wanted to focus, I suppose, in terms of the experience over the long term of, of UK cities to look across employment and population uh, changes and economic changes across the cities. And a key distinction becomes apparent when you do that in the UK context between absolute and relative decline. When you look internationally in Europe or in North America, for example, you can find cases of absolute decline. And of course, Detroit being the uh, big, biggest and most popularised uh, example of that, where there's been an absolute contraction in population uh, and jobs and uh, an economy and so forth. Um, but the story in the UK is one of relative decline, where our largest cities outside London have often been still glow- uh, growing rather, but at slower rates than uh, uh, than uh, the national average uh, or compared to other cities. So that story of relative decline is uh, uh, is important for the UK, the particular context of the UK. So it would be correct then to 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 say that there from your research there are no cases of of absolute decline in the UK. 
Uh, I think if you look over the long period, you can find some cities for some time periods where they experienced their absolute decline. I think Liverpool in the 1980s uh, comes to mind as one example. But when you look in the round and aggregate it up across all the cities, then the story is one of relative decline rather than absolute. Okay. And one of the main points of, of the report is that declining cities are afflicted by higher poverty risk. Can you explain how relative decline is a driver of poverty risk? Uh, certainly, I mean, cities that are growing more slowly and uh, creating less employment opportunities um, are often uh, those that contain quite strong geographical concentrations of people and places that have let, been left behind from economic growth and are at risk of poverty. And, and is it just declining cities at risk of poverty, or do you also find that in thriving cities? Oh, certainly in thriving cities too, yeah. I mean, the models of economic growth, I guess, that we've uh, been experiencing in the last sort of decade or so in many advanced uh, Sort of global north economies have been very unequal and, and lots of work have been done to document that, that you can have uh, you know, fast-growing uh, cities and parts of cities cheap by jail with um, parts and, uh, and social groups that are getting left behind. So London's a good uh, example of that where you've had a kind of renaissance in the London economy since the 1980s and 90s. Uh, where you've had some very fast-growing, some kind of inflationary hotspots within the London economy. Uh, but it's also cheap by jail then with some of the most deprived communities in the country. And it's interesting that you mentioned London then there as a sort of thriving city. And you've also mentioned Liverpool as an example of perhaps historically a city that's more, that, that might have been in absolute decline, even though that's changed in, in recent years. Um, so the, the, the report unveiled or confirmed uh, quite uh, sharp geographical inequalities, especially between north and south. Um, can you explain the nature of these differences, um, including why uh, northern cities fare more poorly? You know, one of the key things, I suppose, in terms of looking at the geography of, um, of the kind of uh, city decline uh, and the story of uh, a change within the cities is, is really down, I suppose, to, to several factors, really, that the, the research um, identified and, and, and the sort of analytical work in the report really uh, suggested that the risk of of recent relative decline was lower for cities then that had the more highly qualified people among its working age group uh, that didn't have a, a, a city, uh, a larger city nearby attracting uh, mostly service trade uh, that had faster rail access to London, uh, which sort of connects to this issue of peripherality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and crucially as well, they had little history of dependence um, uh, for work on mining or manufacturing. So that kind of legacy of industrialisation and deindustrialisation was very important. So Typically, uh, your northern cities that were struggling and ended up having a high score on the index of relative de- decline were those that uh, had uh, low levels of qualified people um, that were sometimes overshadowed, being uh, next to or near to a, a larger core city and oversh- uh, were overshadowed as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, those cities whose connectivity and transport links, especially in London and the greater southeast, uh, were less uh, strong. And that had that kind of legacy of uh, industrial uh, industrialization, deindustrialization that obviously shaped the uh, the nature of their economy, the uh, the structural base of their economy, and their, their labour market prospects, and also the prospects and, uh, and possibilities for the people and places within the cities. Yes, you identify uh, two main indicators: uh, population levels and employment trends. Do do they provide sufficient? indicators within themselves for, for, for measuring city decline or flourishing? Certainly they're, they're important if you, if, I guess, trying to understand what, what why we're we interested in city growth uh, and decline is really for the 
the people who live in cities and, and clearly population and demographic changes are very important uh, in telling us what's going on over the longer term. And, and similarly, the labour market there, what sorts of jobs and, uh, and employment opportunities are being created. So those are key uh, aspects of, uh, of the report. And also in data availability terms, those are the ones that provide you with these uh, kind of long-to-run data sets uh, so you can understand the paths of, uh, of change within cities over time. And migration is a key factor in your research. Can you explain both, you know, how external migration has affected city development in the UK and how internal migration has affected uh, city development in the UK? Yes, yeah, certainly the external uh, migration was seen as uh, very important uh, from outside the UK, um, which has been a, a very marked sort of demographic shift. Um, it's been important, uh, particularly boosting the urban renaissance in London. And then certainly within uh, internal migration, movement of people within uh, the UK, then this again has been uh, primarily the shift to young adults uh, that centres on London and the sort of south of the country. Um, but there's really been uh, this kind of ongoing story of brain drain to, to a degree where you've got a concentration of high skills uh, in London and the greater southeast and then other cities kind of uh, lose these young, skilled, educated uh, adults. So... It's the classic kind of escalator region story where uh, you've got the big magnet and draw of London and the greater southeast labour market and the employment prospects there that have uh, been a big draw upon uh, skilled young people then uh, uh, from other cities. Now that's kind of changed to a degree in some cities in some time periods, but that, that's been a more general story that uh, we found in the, uh, the long-run study in the, in the report. And so London's coming up a lot as a, as a sort of key influence uh, in the UK economy. Is London an asset or a handicap for other UK cities? Yeah, I think, I mean, the UK's kind of historic political economy, uh, London looms large, uh, and the London city and its expanding city region is obviously a critical uh, part of that and has a, a fundamental kind of relationship to our national macroeconomic prospects, as well as the, the fortunes and prospects then for the cities within their uh, the rest of the UK. I think the key challenge is trying to shape the role of London City Region then in ways that kind of enable and enhance the potential of these other cities rather than eroding and undermining it. So some of the work we've done in other uh, projects has been about trying to understand if we're serious about some kind of rebalancing or uh, under the new May government then this idea of spreading uh, prosperity around the country and is trying to find uh, appropriate local and urban and regional policy, thinking about how we might decentralise the financial system, old tricks like public sector dispersal, uh, trying to make uh, whatever this industrial strategy looks like geographically sensitive. So to try and do things in which we try and understand how the sort of UK system of cities, including London and the London city region and the other cities within the UK, can actually work uh, better to the, to the good of people and places across the UK rather than in this kind of negative zero-sum uh, sense uh, with London and uh, city regions sort of dominating resources and being uncoupled in some way from development in the rest of the UK. So you would say that presently there's this zero-sum situation going on? Well, I mean, if you try not to put it in these terms, I suppose, particularly in terms of trying to sort of build alliances and collaborations. I mean, it's uh, the Phil McCann's recent book, I think, has been very clear on looking at the evidence, and he makes the argument in his book that... Uh, London and its city region is sort of uncoupling from the rest of the UK, which, you know, is an unhelpful development both for London and for the rest of the UK because uh, there's only so much London and uh, uh, London land, skills, housing and all the rest of it to fuel a, a kind of independent city-state type model for London. So 
I think London as part of the UK is uh, is likely to be stronger if we think carefully about how London and its city region then can be better connected then to uh, to the benefit of uh, other cities within the UK rather than seeing it as, it as some kind of independent city-state. And certainly in fiscal terms, that's important uh, with um, London and its city region being then a, a net contributor then in, uh, in fiscal terms in terms of the public finance system within the, uh, the UK and obviously equalisation and transfer payments across the UK then uh, become very important then. Now moving on to the specific characteristics of declining cities in the UK, uh, in your research you identify three types of declining cities, core cities, overshadowed cities and freestanding cities. Can you explain the characteristics of each? Yeah, basically the um, in, in doing the indexing work then uh, and working across the UK cities, um, we wanted to identify whether there were different types of cities experiencing relatively decline in the UK. Uh, we identified three types through that uh, exercise. So you've got your core cities then, which are fundamentally the principal cities within their broader city regions. They're the ones that host the high-level services and the bigger anchor institutions like hospitals and universities and local government. They're important magnets then for attracting investment of people. Uh, and you take examples then of places like Glasgow, Liverpool and, and Sheffield. Uh, the second group were the overshadowed cities. And these tend to have large neighbouring cities. And the core cities that are typically on their doorstep, that are the ones with the high-level functions and big employment uh, and economic sites, they attract the commuters, often from the overshadowed cities, and provide the, the main growth opportunities nearby. And here we'd be talking about Bradford and perhaps its relationship to uh, Leeds, Stoke, its relationship to Birmingham and Sunderland and its uh, relationship to Newcastle. And then the last sort are a, a, a group of cities that are freestanding in relative terms that aren't overshadowed by a big core city nearby. They're a little bit smaller than core cities and they are located some distance from them. So you've got cities in this category of the likes of uh, Dundee, Hull and Newport. Mm -hmm. Okay, and why do you think it's important to differentiate between these? Well, I think part of what we're trying to do, as indicated at the outset with the report, was identify some policy options. And, and here it's, in a, a, I guess, a recognition that one-size-fits-all type city policy isn't really helpful. Um, perhaps we've had uh, these kind of approaches before in, uh, in the context of uh, our very centralised sort of governance and policy system within the UK uh, political economy. So part of the analysis was trying to identify um, particular kinds of cities then where we might try and uh, fine-tune our policy and make it a bit more place-based to deal with the particular challenges that these different types of cities experience. So, for example, in core cities then, there might be issues around skill shortages and transport connections, which are important, uh, whereas for freestanding cities, um, it might be more about um, uh, trying to address some of the ways in which they can uh, connect to the growing cities or growing parts of their regions then to uh, try and exploit growth opportunities. Uh, now, before moving on to uh, the policy proposals that you identify in the in the report, um, I just wanted to ask, looking at your analysis of city decline in the UK, I, I, I saw that it's actually shaped by, by factors, or by, by many factors that are beyond the control of city policymakers. So the most obvious one there is industrial restructuring, but also uh, location, and I guess skills to a lesser extent is also a bit... In under greater control locally, but is also, you know, a national policy leader. Uh, so should we conclude from this that cities are not masters of their own destiny? Yeah, I think that you know, as we do the analysis, of course, you do find uh, that you've got these factors then that are um, are difficult to uh, to kind of shape or change. You can't pick up a city and move it to somewhere else where its economic prospects might be transformed or, or changed. 
And I think our analysis of relative decline then basically tries to unravel and identify the structural and locational issues that cities uh, face and the constraints that city policymakers are working with. I guess we're trying to make a constructive contribution to debate. So in terms of relative decline, um, most of these cities are still growing. They may not be growing as at faster rates as we'd like or, um, or, or they could grow, but uh, city policymakers then have responsibilities to try and uh, address employment and, uh, and development opportunities then within uh, those cities. What we wanted to try and do was to get away from the argument that where you've got declining cities or relatively declining cities, there's nothing policymakers can do because everything's beyond their control and that managed decline of these cities is the only policy option. So we recognise that some of these are structural and locational uh, constraints, but we wanted to try and be positive and constructive with policy to identify the things that city policymakers can do. Okay, that leads us in neatly to, uh, to policy, policy measures for declining cities. Uh, can you talk to me through um, the, you know, you surveyed the international evidence on policy measures. Can you talk me through what the main approaches and policy tools that, that you found were? Yeah, there's a number of these um, fundamentally that were identified. We looked um, uh, systematically across a, a range of policy approaches that had been uh, taken in uh, different uh, countries across the piece, uh, principally Europe and, uh, and North America. Uh, and there were, I guess, five really that we uh, identified from the, the analysis there. Uh, one was really about this idea of strategic repositioning, so where policymakers have tried to kind of take a, a vision and aim and, uh, and and stance on what they want the city to try and do, um, particularly in the context of deindustrialization. Uh, the idea there has been trying to understand whether anything can be salvaged or reinvented or reinvigorated from traditional industrial strengths, but be connected into new growth opportunities and new pathways of uh, uh, development. Uh, the second one was the idea of uh, trying to get some kind of institutional governance innovation. Um, part of this is around trying to promote the role of anchor institutions like uh, hospitals, universities and local government that are big actors in, in many of these cities and trying to better connect their, their spending, their innovation, their kind of employment practices into development outcomes in the cities. Uh, the third one has been around employment and skills. Uh, and again, here trying to promote sometimes uh, Economic development strategies focused on particular growth sectors, matching up uh, local skills provision, introducing living wage ordinances, these kinds of things to try and promote uh, some buoyancy and inclusion within the urban labour market. Uh, there's also the whole regeneration infrastructure dimension too. Um, and here this uh, ranges from big transport schemes, uh, road, rail and so forth, right way through to uh, super fast and high speed uh, broadband. And then lastly, then, the idea of community engagement and of trying to get be uh, mechanisms to better engage with the wishes and ambitions of, uh, of community actors and civic groups then to try and understand what kind of city these people want to live in. In many cases, uh, cities are trying multiple approaches. Uh, they attempt to achieve some measure of linkage and complementarity between each. Um, and certainly, uh, I think in many of the cities, they've had to try and understand what the real needs are to try and prioritise which of these approaches seem to be the most important. And clearly, where you've got you know, big kind of uh, deprivation and um, marginalisation issues within cities, then often the employment and skills dimension has become a, a priority within cities. But again, the, the idea being that uh, this is a range of um, interesting and innovative ideas from different places, um, some of which have worked better than others, uh, and cities can find some inspiration and some ideas then and to try and craft strategies that are best suited to the sort of development prospects and opportunity and potential within their own cities.
So yeah, so as you say, these these are a range of sort of different measures. Um, now, but in in terms of uh, the way in which city success is is uh, evaluated or established in the UK, uh, you know, it's economic growth or GBA output that is really by far, uh, in my understanding, the primary kind of aim of the central government policymakers. Uh, what, what do you think that growth alone can solve the problem of declining cities? Uh, no, I think not. I mean, going back to the um, the kind of debates around beyond GDP and inclusive growth, I think there's a growing recognition uh, seen with the Royal Society of Arts Inclusive Growth Commission, uh, and this kind of feeling that um, the levels of inequality in the sort of national and urban growth models we've experienced in the UK and in other countries then uh, is becoming a drag on uh, productivity growth and future economic growth. So that needs to be addressed, that needs to be dealt with, even to just keep perpetuating economic growth in its own terms. So hopefully the, the kind of weather is changing on that and we will have more attention to not only the growth but the inclusion side of the uh, the equation to try and move forward in a more inclusive uh, way. I think certainly within the UK there's, uh, there's been an attempt, I think, in many of the larger cities and city regions to Acknowledge that yeah, there is a growth dimension to, to what's going on. They're all looking to increase productivity in GVA um, and jobs, creating more and better jobs perhaps now than just simply jobs. Um, they're all trying to grow their tax bases, but they're also trying to couple that with public service reform as well. So trying to integrate and coordinate service provision and reduce the costs of, uh, of the public services they've got to provide through early and preventative interventions and that kind of thing. And the idea being to take those two growth and service reform things into a greater balance um, uh, to try and sort of uh, put themselves on a, on a sounder footing. And that, you know, in the UK context and in the English context, you know, that's part and parcel of, I guess, what national government is attempting to do in, uh, in promoting more local government and local fiscal autonomy, if you like, uh, trying to prompt the localisation of uh, local government finance and, and reduce dependence upon transfers uh, uh, from the centre. So, obviously have us big risks and ask big questions about equalisation and transfer payments then within the uh, uh, the public finance system. But certainly economic growth on its own is not enough, although uh, albeit it still seems to be a vital element of city strategies. So you would you would see then, it would be fair to say that growth is an important element of urban regeneration, but it also needs to be accompanied by other, you know, by the pursuit of other outcomes that, that can complement it. Yes, certainly. I mean, I, I think the, the you know we're we're finding a language now that seems to have some traction with policymakers at a national and local level around inclusive growth, around more and better jobs, of recognising that just pursuing a, a particular form of growth that's very short term, speculative, that creates lots of low paid, low quality, low productivity service jobs is not necessarily the way to go. And we think need to think better. Uh, about the quantity as well as the quality of the employment opportunities that are being created by the kind of uh, the kinds of growth that we pursue. What kinds of policy measures um, do you recommend in the report to to get to this place uh, that you just outlined, uh, both in general and also by type of city? Yeah, certainly we um, in terms of uh, of trying to I guess uh, address the the broader. Um, set of policies uh, uh, across a piece that cities can get involved in. Um, I mean, we argued that um, I think in terms of the general policy, there was a, a clear um, sort of uh, emphasis upon trying to understand what cities can do uh, in the rounds. 
uh, where we were trying to, I guess, promote uh, the need for dialogue and leadership, the local government taking the lead with partners and communities to try and articulate a vision and ambition. So this kind of idea of what kind of city the, the, the people want to live in and how might that be uh, achieved. So we have a vision of a working city in Newcastle, and I'm, I'm sad at the moment. We're also, I guess, trying to um, emphasise if the aspiration is around inclusive growth, then is is taking these kind of whole city approaches and, and trying to better connect the economic footprints of city actors uh, to this more and better jobs agenda, try and make sure that the employment practices of the big employers, public and private sector, uh, the supply chain, the procurement activities are all kind of focused around uh, a more and better jobs uh, uh, agenda. And we're also interested in general terms and trying to foster more community engagement, so trying perhaps to get some more participatory and institutional innovations to better connect the citizens' concerns, linking bottom-up and top-down kind of channels to get the voice of people uh, that might perceive that they've been left behind or excluded from the kinds of growth in cities, better engaged in the process uh, of trying to articulate what the city's about and how uh, more inclusive forms of growth can be, um, can be achieved. And then on the responsible decentralisation point, we were uh, very keen in a context where more fiscal autonomy for local government is being uh, pursued at the national level, that the kind of equalisation and transfer mechanisms then would be safeguarded then between richer and poorer areas uh, to make sure that uh, places weren't unduly disadvantaged by these uh, reforms in the public finance system. And I think in terms of the specific sorts of cities, again, we were very keen to have this kind of place-based approach that made sure we weren't just rolling out these universal top-down, one-size-fits-all type solutions then. Um, part of the policy agenda for core cities in particular then was to try and get them, I guess, to recognise their broader uh, regional leadership role, uh, the extent to which they hold a lot of the cards and the assets to promote growth opportunities, not just within the core city, but beyond it. I think for overshadowed cities, it was about uh, them trying to understand what are the niches that complement their own kind of uh, regional economy? You know, do they provide the land and the kind of housing and the uh, commuting and labour force and skills resource, if you like, for those broader core cities? So you can have a kind of complementary role between uh, different types of cities. Mm -hmm. And then freestanding one then is trying to understand the ways in which they could build on their existing strength and trying to carve out, again, a, a degree of uh, autonomy and uh, innovation and distinctiveness about what those cities uh, can do and their kind of broader role within the economy. What, what do you think that the implications of Brexit are for, for UK cities, but also for, for, you know, for declining cities specifically? Yeah. Well, clearly the events of uh, running up to the referendum, uh, the EU referendum and, and afterwards and the whole kind of Brexit uh, issue then is, is obviously profound and, uh, and resonant. Um, it's unleashed a whole set of uncertainties, I think, at the national and international and, uh, and kind of city uh, level. Uh, many of these things seem to be uh, creating almost a, a sense of, uh, not quite panic and chaos, but a sense of, uh, of resignation and uncertainty, which I think is going to be difficult to emerge from. Uh, certainly seems too early to say uh, in the UK context what on earth Brexit uh, will actually look like and come to uh, you know what form it will come, what forms it will come to take uh, as as the process kind of unfolds over the, the next sort of uh, several years. I think at this stage we can identify maybe a few issues and risks um, for UK cities. I think firstly 
And again, underlining this point about entrenched inequalities and people and places being left behind, uh, and certainly the voting patterns where some of our most disadvantaged communities were voting strongly uh, to leave the European Union, even when they've been in receipt of uh, European Union regional policy and structural funds uh, support, is, is how can then more inclusive forms of growth engage with and reconnect these kinds of communities? You know, it's kind of underlined the importance of that unequal model of growth and how it has excluded people and places from it. And you've, we've had a kind of political expression of that, I think, as part of that uh, referendum vote. So the issue being, well, how can you get more inclusive forms of growth that can engage and reconnect them? I think the second one is this point of the, the very clear uh, and obvious chilling effect on private and public investment of uncertainty uh, in the context of Brexit. Uh, we see this amongst big private sector employers that are putting uh, investment plans on hold and uh, clearly will have a kind of lagged effect in the broader economy then in terms of investment and adding to the capital stock and boosting productivity and creating and safeguarding employment opportunities. So I think there's a hangover to to sort of come from that chilling effect uh, from uncertainty on public and private investment. I think it's more specifically, thirdly, the issues then about the clarity on what's going to happen to EU funding, whether it will be guaranteed or not, and in what forms, and the kind of broader local and urban uh, uh, funding landscape and, and, and the kind of whole devolution, decentralisation agendas in England. A hell of a lot of uncertainty there about what the new government's vision of spreading prosperity will actually look like. You know, what and how any kind of industrial strategy will uh, consist of and how geographically sensitive or attuned it will be to dealing with the issues uh, for UK cities. Yeah, so uncertain times ahead and I guess also quite uh, an interesting juncture at which to publish this report. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Andy Pike, for coming uh, to talk to us about your, your report for the GRF today. And I encourage um, all our listeners to, to download the report, which is available on the Joseph Roundtree Foundation uh, website. Uh, the report is titled uh, Uneven Growth, City Decline in the UK. This podcast was brought to you by the Centre for Urban Research on Austerity at De Montfort University. Our centre is dedicated to researching urbanism, austerity and related concepts and practices such as crisis, resistance, resilience, renaissance and transformation. It brings together activists, students and academics working on these issues to develop new networks and projects. The podcast was developed by our team members Adrian Boer, Ed Thompson, Abir Al-Sayari. For more information, podcasts and articles, please visit www.cura.or.dmu.ac.uk. For any questions or feedback, please contact Adrian Bua at adrian.bua at dmu.ac.uk.